0: 21st Century Women on Cambridge 105 Radio and HCR 104 FM.
1: In this programme, we'll be talking to three successful women. Julie Dean OBE, the founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company, who not only runs a hugely successful company, but was the first woman to win Entrepreneur of the Year for all of Europe. Julie gives us fascinating insights into what made the business successful, the pitfalls, the high points, and of enjoyment she gets helping other entrepreneurs. Louise Wilson meets chef Charlotte Jin, who tells us about what it's like to work in male-dominated kitchens. And Liz Kelly went to visit Julie Miles, who set up workshops where people can get together and do a number of crafts. Julie shows Liz around her workshop and talks about the crafts she loves to share with others. That's all coming up on this edition of 21st Century Women. In the studio, we have Bobby Jones. Hello there. We've got Liz Kelly. Hi. We've got Susie Thorpe. Hello. And me, Linda Ness. Well, we've got a packed show. Do you want to tell us, Susie, about what's coming up first?
2: Yes, I'd love to tell you what's coming up first. So let's see. When we think of women working in male-dominated industries... We think about building sites and information technology. However, commercial kitchens are equally male-dominated. So what's it like to be a young woman going into a kitchen full of men? Louise Wilson spoke to trainee chef Charlotte Gin about it.
3: Charlotte Jin, a young female chef currently studying at CLC. She's joining me now to tell me why she chose this career path and about the ambition and drive behind her decision to go into the catering industry. So thank you for meeting with me today. Right. So where did it all begin for you then, this sort of passion for cooking?
4: I think I spent a lot of time in the kitchen with my family at like my grandparents'
3: So you're quite a foodie family then? Yeah,
4: we like, you know, going out and we were always cooking together at home when I was younger. I think it just sort of rubbed off on you. Yeah, it kind of expanded and it just kind of grew from there. And then when I went to secondary school, that was the only subject I was really excited about doing. That's what I wanted to do when I left school. There wasn't anything else that I would rather go off and do. So it was it was just always there it was for just you? just always there. I never once sort of wanted to do something else when did it change from a bit of fun Mm. um to
3: thinking right you know this is something i actually want to do because the two things are quite different you know cooking at home for fun but then going and cooking professionally Mm -hmm. is just so you know the two things are worlds apart Mm.
4: as i've been here for three years now um level one wasn't sure just getting used to the idea of properly cooking and then i decided to come back i did level two for a year. And then it kind of, actually, I do enjoy doing this a lot. What are the sort of things that you're learning here that are different to, to cooking
3: at home, if you like?
4: There's a lot of things here that you can't do at home. You've got industrial-sized kitchens, and I've taken a lot from here and tried doing it at home. So if we've done recipes in lesson, or we've gone into the main kitchen for custo- like cooking for customers, then I've always taken that home yeah. and tried to recreate it but i think level three this year was the year i finally realized that i actually want to do this for a living and also working in a kitchen outside of college as a job i think's also made me really like aware of what's going on and this is the sort of career that i'd love to, to sort yeah. of go on and, and take
3: further and are you influenced by anybody because you know are you watching the industry so to speak yeah. and seeing who's coming up and who are you looking at
4: I think celebrity, M- not celebrity masterchef. There was a M- professionals was just on, just finished recently, and there was a girl on there, and she came second, I think. Louisa. Yeah. And that really, really made me think women can do this sort of thing. You know, it's not just men. I was going to come on to that actually, because it is a very, you know, it's typically a heavily male dominated industry. Absolutely. So,
3: and 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 is that
4: still is that still the thing you find? Definitely, I definitely find that that is the case, especially in my kitchen at work. There's only three of us females in the kitchen how many guys 15 or 20.
3: yeah so it's It's definitely sort of like one to five
4: almost yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i love working with them all i can work with both you know male and female but every kitchen i've been in has always been male dominated and have you ever found that a bit of an issue uh, for want of a better term
3: banter that goes on in Um, kitchens
4: it's definitely been a problem before my previous job i definitely had a i was the only female in the kitchen And you definitely find it harder to get on with males than you do females. They've got a different way of speaking to you. I think sometimes they do look down on you because, oh, you're the only one here. There's more of us. And is that something you've had to not grow used to, but, you know, how do you deal with that? I think especially before I've had to change the way I've acted or spoken just, you know, to, to get on with and please sort of what goes on in the kitchen. I think you you definitely have to change the way you are to be able to get used to it. Do you think that that is something that needs to change? I think it is something that needs to change. I think I've always felt like it needs to because I think, you know, there's always the stereotype that all women belong in the kitchen. It's always, you always see males in the kitchen. How would you like to see it change? How do you think it can be dealt with? Especially, like, if you go for an interview and you see a male kitchen you are taken back you are not scared but shy the idea of going into kitchen where all you've got to do is work with males mm. i think you know something should be done to encourage women to go into a career like this do you of. think maybe that will come through more
3: females maybe rising to the top getting to the head chef status and yeah. then actually they can influence the kitchen from the top
4: yeah down. i think you know i've seen female head chefs And I think they can do it just as well, if not better.
3: But with a different kind of atmosphere.
4: And And I think they can change a lot about the way a kitchen works. Especially social media, you see a lot more females in the kitchen doing things. I think that also influences people's choices because they see other people doing it. Yeah, They're not the only one. Sort. And
3: do you think that you would like to have that positive influence now that you're in into this industry and sort of heading you know, sort of further yeah. down the line? Is that something you ultimately want to do, sort of encourage more girls to take it up?
4: I think I'd like to. You know, I think all like women should feel that way in the kitchen and they shouldn't be scared or they shouldn't be shy. It would be nice to be able to go to other people and go, it's completely worth going into a kitchen, even if it's full of males. But I like to think that I was doing something to help yeah. others. Because I've gone through the stages of working with all males. So I know what it's like for like other girls like going through the same thing sort of mm. thing in the kitchen. So, um,
3: so moving on from that then, there are so many different types of catering mm-hmm. and routes
4: into it as well. Mm.
3: So what's your plan?
4: I've worked at Ascot race course before and the golf the open golf and they're two different completely different styles of catering all together so what what do you mean? catering for over a thousand people a day big scales but what I'd like to be is a pastry chef that is where i'd love to sort of go and the thing is actually that's a great thing
3: to do because mm-hmm. pastry chefs are few and far between yeah. you don't get
4: many people no. every kitchen needs one exactly yeah i work at Clare college <coughs> in cambridge and i do a lot of fine dining pastry work there but all three of us in pastry are females every kitchen up and down the country needs a pastry chef in the kitchen cool. but it's also good if you can do both because having pastry skills is a good thing to have even if you choose savoury side of the kitchen and are you looking at the fine dining industry is that where you want to be yeah i've really enjoyed the fine dining side especially here at work we do a lot of that i enjoy it a lot more than other things Mm. in the kitchen
3: so other than being a pastry chef, what's your ultimate goal? Would you like to be, you know, head chef? Do you want accolades?
4: Um, a good question. Uh, well, you have a f- in fact, you have a few competitions coming up, do you? Yeah, end? I've um, entered Young Pastry Chef of the Year, which is uh, at the end of March. That's coming up. I did the Cambridge Culinary Competition yeah. in October. I've won Silver Best in Class for the fish course. And then I've done Passion to Inspire twice, which is... Here, which is a competition held here and then mm. goes on further. So I do enjoy the competition sides of things. And who is it that judges these um, competitions? Um, it varies between people here, sort of further out, like Ben Wobblin, he's doing the Young Pastry Chef of the Year. He's one of the judges on the creme de la creme, de la creme uh, um, bake-off, bake-off, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. So he's, you know, that's a big, that's a massive thing for a competition. And do you think actually doing the competitions is a great
3: opportunity for you to be able to meet these sorts of people mm. and actually kind of get your face known, yeah. you know, start kind of, you know, putting the, ten, you know, the feelers out, so to speak, in, in terms of, you know, once you move on from college, actually making the networks and the contacts with people.
4: Absolutely. Like it's definitely worth the time getting getting out there and getting yourself known because you can go on and do work experience at so many places. And how do you prepare for the competitions? What's what goes into it? A lot of hard work. <laughs> The one I'm doing at the minute I've been practising for four or five months and it's in March. It's a lot of extra hours.
3: So what is it that you're doing? What's what's the prep at the moment?
4: So it's a lot of paperwork and things, you know, having everything written down and being able to visualize things, just getting faster at doing things and getting people to taste. Last week I went round here at college and just got people to try what i've made and what is it that you're making at the moment so for my competition i've got to do four souffles four plated dessert a skills test which is shortbread and then i've got to make 10 petty fours out of the shortbread in three hours so give us an example of what what you've come up with
3: ideas Mm. you've come up with
4: my souffle is blackberry it's got a pickled blackberry liquor as the sauce and a tempered chocolate disc on top so when you obviously you've got all the different Flavours, you've got sweet, you've got sour.
3: So you're kind of appealing to every yeah, sort of, sort of, going, of taste so that you've got, yeah.
4: Not everyone will have the same opinion, but we're trying to put a, a twist on things, not yeah. playing it safe.
3: And where do you get your ideas from? Do you eat out quite a lot and pick up ideas from there and kind of take them and shape them? And
4: I think I do like to go out to like more fine dining places. Ideas and my head chef where I work was called Byron. He's given me so much help and- Inspiration. A a Mm -hmm. lot of inspiration on this competition helping with flavors and things like that well it's great i'm really
3: happy that there are girls like you mm. in the industry trying yeah. to make waves and you know hopefully it will help other girls mm. and and ladies to no, I really hope. be inspired mm. to come into the industry as well so thank you very much for joining me <laughs> brilliant thank you
5: That was Charlotte Jin speaking to our Louise Wilson about training to be a chef. The music was Portugal the Man, Feel It Still. Since Louise spoke with her, Charlotte's let us know that she was the runner-up by one point in the competition. She said it was the most amazing day, but one of the hardest things she'd ever done. She got her feedback with Benoit Blin and Liam Grime, who won Bake Off Creme de la Creme. She won a stage with William Curley in his patisserie shop. So didn't she do well?
1: She did yes. very well. Excellent, Absolutely. excellent. She sounds very enthusiastic, doesn't she? She Definitely. does,
2: and at a young age, to like, I don't ever remember feeling like that when I was that age. <laughs> I have to say, I really didn't, I really slobbed out and did most
1: of <laughs> you You have to find something that you really love doing though, don't you? Which She clearly has. She does, mm.
2: she's got a passion for it, hasn't she? She has. Yeah, I'm very proud she updated us, didn't she, with that that mm. piece of news after. Yeah, I think
1: she was quite excited, she was speaking to Louise um, after the event, it was earlier this week, and uh, and so oh, yeah, I, I was, you know, I came in uh, runner up by one point as well. So she nearly, nearly won that competition that she was talking about in the uh, in the interview. And of course, you know that Liam Grime, who won the Bake Off Creme de la Creme, he was the uh, in charge of the. I think it was the army. They were doing, you know, that's the professionals.
5: The um, catering sort of core or something. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, the creme de la creme, bake-off creme de la creme, is, is the, are the professionals. You know, the, the other bake-off is the, are the amateurs. Mm. So they're the professionals. The wannabe professionals.
5: Can oh, yeah. I, can I yeah. just
2: say, have you not noticed? I love the names. When you have um, Liam Grime, don't you think that's a fantastic name for
1: someone working in the catering business? <laughs> I know. It's, it, it's, it's a bit like my doctor. Insurgent. It's called
2: Dr. Hack.
1: Oh. <laughs> stand back!
2: Yes, stand leave me yes, alone. Surgeon, right. by any chance? Yes, surgeon. Well, maybe he was a surgeon. Now he's become a doctor. No, it's got to be the other way around hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I just think it's, it's a fascinating. Liam Grime works in catering,
1: and that's well, the, the last thing you want in catering, really, isn't it? Grime. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I think she sounds great, and it must be very tough to be working in a uh, in a kitchen full of men. And she did say she was quite intimidated at first, the very first kitchen. She went into but now she's used to it hmm. i mean i must admit i work with men all the time because i i work in it so i'm surrounded by men All the time. you get used to it
2: you do get used to it you're right and maybe maybe it's not just young women that get used to it but probably young men that come in and have to sort of learn the ways of just working all together really yeah but she obviously has a passion it's
1: wonderful to hear It was a lovely story wasn't it yes it is it is we're more more of same. So, if you know anybody out there who is working in any male dominated area, or just doing something that they're really really passionate about as a woman, then we would love to hear from you. Actually, coming up next month, we're talking to someone who uh, who's in exactly that position as well. She is the uh, manageress of a very large builders merchants. And uh, she talks about that. So that's coming up next month on uh, 21st
0: Century Women.
2: This is 21st Century Women.
0: There can't be many women who haven't heard of Cambridge Satchel Company who are famous for producing bags paste on the old-fashioned satchel. I oh, can't speak. Julie Dean wanted to raise funds to change her daughter's school and decided to set up the business with just £600. Through hard work and innovative ideas, she has taken the business from her kitchen to a multi-million pound turnover international business. Susie Thorpe talks to Julie about how she did what she did.
2: with Julie Dean OBE founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company and literally the company was founded from a kitchen table with only £600 as a way to pay the school fees for your children. Ten years later your bags are hanging very nicely on the arms of celebrities and bloggers and your brand has monumental global recognition. Hello Julie nice to be with you today. First question I want to ask Before having children, you graduated from Cambridge University and worked for Deloitte, qualifying as a chartered accountant. That background must surely have helped you set up the company like many things I sort of didn't intend to do that
6: I sort of fell into it I didn't go through Cambridge thinking I'm going to leave here and become a chartered accountant but my dad was very ill so I needed to go back to Swansea and find what he thought was a respectable job so I ended up joining um, one of the big firms in, in Swansea but as a as a note of hope to all those people out there who will soon be trying desperately to find jobs after, after graduating I went into Swansea that day having said to my mum I'm going to find a job Today and I went around law firms and accounting firms. I mean, it was the complete opposite of have you done your homework? Because I remember being interviewed at Deloitte um, by Eric Davis, the partner, and being really a bit disappointed that I didn't get, you know, Mr. Deloitte Haskins or sells. <laughs> and telling him that and he thought that that was very funny because he said that uh, he'd been absolutely sick to death of graduates sitting opposite him feeling like they knew more about his firm than uh, than he did so i was i was definitely not going to make him feel that
2: You received an OBE for services
6: to entrepreneurship. Yes, I was the first woman to win Entrepreneur of the Year for the whole of Europe. That's fantastic. So it was a a ceiling that got smashed, so I got um, my OBE. And you
2: also made fellow of Gonville and Keys Quite an amazing thing. It must have sunk in that you are doing good, as well as actually making a fantastic business, but you're doing good as well. I think that creating jobs always makes me feel good.
6: So going to the factory in Leicester, and I always feel so, so proud coming up to the factory and seeing the sort of the the logo on the gate that um, I did in Word (laughs) at at home. And now branding agencies in London say it's genius, so I'll take that. But it was (laughs) done in Wording. Uh, And and going to the factory and seeing this, incredibly impressive, and it's impressive because of the, the man, Mark Fitzpatrick, who runs it, who really knows what he's doing, But to go in there and see all those people and think, you know, if it hadn't been for my mum and I starting that these people wouldn't have
2: jobs here and maybe they wouldn't be doing something that they love quite so much. Mm. Actually, talking about that, you started the business with your mum. Do you think there are more benefits working with family than the challenges sometimes working with family. Yeah,
1: I really, really
6: loved that. For me, I have always got on very well with my mum. It was fine. I saw her every day when the children were small before we did Cambridge that The business was started so that Emily and Max could go to a really good school, so... I had to really, sort of my mum and I got on with it because I suppose in management speak, they call it goal alignment. And what it actually means is neither of us needed or expected to get paid, but we've worked really, really hard because the goal was something that was really important to us. Mm. And then as well, your mum, she knows that on a bad day, you'll be really grumpy and on a good day, it'll be really nice
2: and easy. Um, I wanted to ask you about the support for entrepreneurs because you were entrepreneur-in-resident at the British Library. I still am. You still are, thank you. The third
6: one they had, Anita Roddick, was the first one. I don't know who the second one was. But if Anita Roddick was something that now you're handed, that's a really big role to fill. I was asked to take up that post because I was asked by David Cameron when he was Prime Minister to do the uh, review of self-employment in the UK, to come up with sort of 10 recommendations that that could be taken up that would improve things. And and that was really, really interesting because the self-employed are an incredibly diverse group. I mean, there are the sort of the, the, the one because of Dragon's Den, the, the kind of like the sexy entrepreneurial set. But then you've got the perhaps more fascinating set of people who are just getting on with it you know so you've got temporary teachers you you've got surgeons who who do a lot of self work, you've got barristers you've got the hairdressers you've got it's a very very diverse group so I got I was quite worried in the beginning of doing that review because I thought how on earth could I come up with 10 things that would actually help people that had so little in common but actually they had so much in common and, and so that was that was really interesting but then quite a few of the recommendations I found would be satisfied by just investing in libraries because I I sort of I became very aware that people start their own businesses. It's not always because it's a last resort. It's not because they've been made redundant. A lot of people now think this could be something that would fit in with my lifestyle a bit better. And it's a positive choice. But then when they do make that choice, a lot of people said that they found the lack of colleagues, the support system around them. You know, it was quite a lonely thing to keep motivated and expected to know all kinds of different diverse things and bookkeeping or legal things or VAT and and so many different things you're, you're just expected to know and but then at the end there was this this sort of feeling of maybe if we stop thinking about tech hubs that tend to be like men in their 20s in certain parts of London, where in communities does everyone feel comfortable? And I think that's a library. And if we can think of uh, a really good, more relevant sort of use of libraries, now another purpose for libraries, then, then perhaps we can keep them open and benefit everybody that bit more.
2: Coming to the harsher sides of running a business, copycat businesses, the challenges of that. Uh, that must have been quite a hard work at the beginning and maybe still is. I'm not sure. And how to stop copycat selling your own satchels? The thing is,
6: you you need to realise um, that you can't stop it. Um, you, can, you can take certain measures to protect yourself against it. And so you can... If you've got an idea that you need to protect, you, you, you need to have, they call them NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, that you get people to sign so that that's a level of protection. After that, if you're going to have somebody else make the first few things of yours, then you're you're going to need a manufacturing agreement so that um, your manufacturer doesn't then think this is a free-for-all, I'm going to make them anyway because now I've, I've been told how to make them and this is a really good idea so I'm just going to Go a bit rogue with it. I didn't do that and and that bit me in the backside. And then you've got this, this whole area of the internet, which is more of a blessing than a curse, because it means that, you know, you, you can sell globally from day one. But equally, if your website, my website, I, I had to learn to code and, and coded the first website, but that meant it was a very simple website to replicate, especially after the Google advert. In the 12 months after the Google advert, we had to shut down 230 fake Cambridge Satchel websites.
1: 230,
2: That's a hell of a lot, isn't it? It's so, so many. Time-consuming as well. Well, it's time-consuming
6: and it's expensive and you have a choice. You think, well, because there are two types of fake website. There's the website that is there and carries on being there and sends out goods that look like yours and they're a far poorer quality and then people might actually think that that is the level of quality of your stuff. So that's really damaging to Mm. your business. And then you've got the ones that are up and they're only going to be up for maybe a month. They'll take the money and you'll get nothing and then they'll disappear. And so that's why, you know, everybody needs to look for that padlock on the screen when they, they buy things. And it certainly about four or five years ago, that was
2: a massive, massive um, issue for us. What wise words could you give others who want not only to start a business but to sustain it and grow it? I just came back from a trip to China where I was with a
6: group of other retail people. And whenever I'm in a group like that, I I start understanding maybe a little bit more why we were successful. And it's because we do think about things differently. We do approach things differently. And that gives us a real strength. I'd say that there are a lot of people who've made their careers in retail or in business doing things a certain set way. And with sort of like 10 years to retirement or whatever, you know, in their sights, not going to change at this point they've decided they've become successful because they do what they do and they understand how to play the game the trouble is the world has changed a huge amount in the last 10 years a huge amount in the last five years and if you're going to approach well for us it's it's retail and this was a trip to china if if we were going to to do things in the same way as um most big businesses approaching china we would be competing on the same playing field playing the game the same way as people with a lot more resources than we have you Mm. know so we would be competing with Michael Calls or or Fossil or you know Topshop or someone like that and that's just not going to work it's not going to work for us and so you know take a a big sort of dollop of realism and think that this isn't necessarily a bad thing but it would be a bad thing if you're so inelastic that you you can't realise that you're going to need to do it a different way
2: Mm. and now we're looking 10 years on you've got the most I've just seen them you just shown me the most beautiful yeah, bags out there your original bags the, uh, the nostalgic beautiful satchel bags and then you've got some new designs too what's happening now and what's the way forward for you what we've realized is yes satchels are, are the core of
6: our business but they're based on something that, that that is a lot more scalable so it's
2: based on bags traditional bags of the past that we bring up to date Julie, just want to ask as well, the sense of humour, I can tell you, I don't know even why I'm asking this, actually. You do have a sense of humour, but it's quite vital, isn't it, in in any business, in particular your business, to have that sense of humour, to know that when things do go wrong, they go wrong. Yes. And when they go right, that sense of humour, when it went wrong, actually pulled you through to when it did go right.
6: And and this is something that, because I do um, quite a bit of work
2: with Virgin, and
6: Virgin are the best at recruiting people and and you, you sense it the minute you do anything with them they're all a certain kind of, of person. When you interview you, you, you look for the base level of skills but then the second interview, the brand interview is really important. If these aren't people that you think you could share a really tough time with or you know, work really really long hours with, it doesn't really matter how great they are. Um, it, it helps a lot to be surrounded by people that you can laugh with. So on Singles Day, which is the the day when in china are all of the discounts the big sales bigger than sort of black fridays and so we made a big play for singles day this year and somebody uploaded the prices wrong. So, from the wrong column on an Excel spreadsheet. And it could have been disastrous, but we dodged a bullet. Uh, but it did mean we had to issue 14,000 refunds <laughs> that day in China. And all of our websites looked like we had no stock for um, about six hours until we manually put them back in.
2: Um, stuff happens manufacturing your bags in the UK, that's yes. been a, quite an important aspect.
6: The Satchels are a British bag, and even at that time, when I know I could have outsourced to some giant factories in other parts of the world and sorted that problem quite quickly, it wasn't really an option manufacture 10,000 bags a month in the UK Um and that's largely down to the
2: skill of Mark. You've had a fantastic journey. How much would you put that down to hard work and a cheeky one here, to luck? Do you believe in luck or do you believe I in luck? work? I don't believe in luck.
6: I don't believe in luck. It's sort of what you concentrate on expands. I really believe in that. You know, so I did, was it hard work? Well, not probably compared to people working at Addenbrooke that work sort of double shifts and, uh, and things like that. But it was very intense at times. There were very long hours hours at times but then being self-employed does give you that bit of flexibility to be able to at other times make sure that you can do the things you believe are important so I always took my children to school picked them up I think that flexibility for me makes the payoff of very long hours and a lack of support from a sort of a recognized structure something that is it it's the right payoff for me
5: That was Julie Dean, OBE, CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company, speaking to Susie Thorpe. The music was A Girl Like You by Edwin Collins. I thought that was fantastic, actually, Susie.
1: Great. I mean, she she sounded lovely. What was she like when you met her?
2: Well... Do you know what I said to her at the end of the interview? I said, that's one of the best interviews I've had. I really enjoyed her company. Yes. She's a very, very nice person mm-hmm. and very open, very calm, very focused on. And she knows all her stuff because, obviously, it is her baby. That's what she started. I was absolutely fascinated because she started right from the beginning. £600 on the kitchen table talking yeah. with her mom on how to make. And she 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 wrote a list 10 points to try and discover which one of those items was going to make her money and it was only because of her daughter and wanting to go to another school. Yeah, she was being bullied, I believe. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. It's, It's... And I suppose with all small businesses if you... If you need to make money, you will make money because you're desperate to get something done. And that's what she did. And I suppose that's what startups are all about, business, isn't it? If you you need to make
1: that business happen, you will make it happen. I think she's quite a driven person as well because when when we were kind of researching beforehand, discovered that she went to Cambridge University and did various jobs and and things. And she did, I can't remember what she studied, but it was some kind of rocket science thing, wasn't it? She was doing some kind of physics.
2: Yes, at Cambridge, yes, absolutely.
1: So, you know, she's very, very bright. And then she went on to be a a chartered accountant.
2: Well, she had to get a job, didn't she? Had to go back to Swansea
1: and get this job because her dad wasn't well. It's another instigator, isn't it? Yeah. And and you asked her about her sense of humour. And I did find one television interview that she did where um, somebody asked her, why the Cambridge Satchel Company? And she said, I make satchels. In Cambridge <laughs> That was very funny All it takes is a bit of ingenuity And I think, you know, I, I was reading that If the orders were late, she should put a bar of chocolate In the bag to say, sorry, the order's a bit late oh, All these little touches That costs you, what, 40, 50p mm. But it makes all the difference to the customer at the end of the day because you know they might be a bit annoyed the bag's late, but when it arrives with a bit of chocolate in it, suddenly they don't care anymore they 've got the bag they've got chocolate you know it I think those tiny little thoughts are what makes the difference between being an okay business and a great business. Well, that's
2: what she said. That's why she had to compete by being a little bit different. So she couldn't be the the top shop and she couldn't be Michael Kors. She had to do something very different, almost lateral thinking, really, on how to make the business. And she did lots of things by social media and word of mouth. And when she started the business, she decided to send her satchels to bloggers and fashion websites, so she was sending out loads of bags
1: for them to try and she sent out to people that were going to the fashion week so there they were all were sitting by the catwalk with those bags that were really brightly colored and suddenly everybody wanted one great really ingenious
2: it was this is 21st century women So Liz Kelly meets Julie Miles who has found the perfect space in St Ives to set up workshops where people can get together and do a number of crafts as well as learn new skills. Now Julie tells Liz why she thinks people love getting together when they are sewing.
4: The sewing
5: machine, the sewing machine, a girl's best friend. If I didn't have my sewing machine, I'd have come to no good end. But a bobbin, a bobbin, a pedal, a pedal, and wheel the wheel by day. So by night, I feel so weary that I never get up.
7: So, Julie, can you tell me all about Escape and Create, please? Yeah, certainly. Escape and Create started three years ago when I was made redundant from my corporate job and had an opportunity to sort of think about what I wanted to do in life. And it's been a dream of mine for years and years to own a fabric shop. I've always sewn. Uh, my mum was a dressmaker. My nan ran a haberdashery. So it's in my blood. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, your nan a haberdasher, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely and it's it's all I remember from my childhood is having homemade clothes. And Tell me about your, your nan then, about, about her yeah. shop. She works, I um, mean it was quite a um, big shop in Oxfordshire and they sold, they sold everything, they did sell fabrics and, and habby, but yeah it was one of the biggest in the town where they lived. And, uh, Would that uh,
5: been sort of the 70s? Oh no, s- earlier
7: than that, 60s. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. a really vintage-y yes, kind of yeah, atmosphere abs- to the yeah, place. yeah. Yeah, totally. I had the opportunity to do something completely different, so I I didn't think about opening a fabric shop. (laughs) I thought I actually wanted to teach people to sew because I love sewing. I just think it's. Um, one of those hobbies that you can pick up a little bit here a little bit there it's so satisfying and, and it's around once you've made something it's there for as long as you want it to be there it doesn't just disappear and it's unique um, isn't it and everything it's, you make yeah you can get clothing that fits you perfectly um, you can have your home decorated in a style that you love you can make presents for people that they will really value because you've put Time and effort into them, so I, I just wanted to spread the word about sewing, so I started off from home, just a little business, teaching people from my conservatory, and literally it went mad i suddenly I realized that actually. Bringing people together to sew is just such a lovely thing. Sewing can be quite isolating. You can be sat at home. You can be struggling with something. Or maybe you don't have the confidence to to try something new. And actually what I found was bringing people together... People were, would push themselves more and just get so much more enjoyment out of being able to chat to like-minded people who want to, you know, want to do the similar things and be mm-hmm. inspired by people that you know you're sewing with. So I started little sewing clubs, um, and I had I had a few around. One in Huntingdon, Sven Stanton, a couple in Cambridge. But everyone said to me, "Oh, there's nowhere to get decent dressmaking fabric. Where can I get fabric from?" It's very and it's hard. Much- these days yeah and I've always traveled to get fabric um, I've, ne- I've never bought fabric online because I like to feel it I've always traveled to London or Birmingham to get my fabrics and, and so I thought actually there is an opportunity so I started to look for premises nothing you know was set in stone I wasn't really sure and this shop came to my attention. In the centre of St Ives, on the Broadway if you know where the Norris Museum is we're at that end of the town but the shop itself, it's a bit like going into Narnia. You walk in the door and it's got quite a small shop downstairs but then upstairs we've got more fabrics but we've got the most amazing workshop space and this was really key for me when I found this place. It's beautifully lit it's full of big windows, it's really light on a sunny day the sun comes flooding in and it's just lovely it's it's got Um, the feel of an old warehouse yeah 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 but like you know loft apartment style you know that that sort of feel to it yeah leaded leaded windows it's a great space Uh, and we can have lots of workshops going on so today for example we're just starting our first crochet club and we've got dressmaking Mm -hmm. workshops so we have workshops teaching beginners right the way through to advanced so learn to sew we teach dressmaking soft furnishings bag making we're talking to quilting teachers at the moment so we will in the future teach quilting and then we're going to start introducing other crafts in as well so like I mentioned the crochet club where we're already talking to people about other crafts as well and the idea is that we want to be able to use the space to bring people together To sew or to craft. And you call them socials. Um, Yes, yeah, yeah. So we have um, a couple of sessions a week where you can just come along with your project, with your sewing machine and and just just so with well we're friends we've got a really lovely groups of people that come you don't have to come every week you can just turn up whenever you like and there'll always be completely different projects being done you know ranging from beginners who just started through to you know advanced sewers who are on their sort of you know second toile of trying to create their perfect trouser pattern that they're tweaking and so all abilities it's a lovely environment to be in that was my vision for the business really was to to back up like this the social element of craft with having the products here to support it and sure. um, So mm. who's actually doing the teaching and yourself Yeah I teach beginners the sewing <laughs> classes because some of the learn to sew classes I did a lot of research before I started my teaching and I went and got to know lots of other teachers and I have sourced the most amazing tutors all of my teachers are trained teachers, so they need to be able to teach. Loads of people know how to sew, yeah. loads of people have re- the skills, but there's a real difference between having those skills and being able to relay those skills. They all have huge amounts of experience in the business. If they're working, then they will all be working, doing the work that they then so teach. So they might
5: be teaching in the community colleges, that kind of thing. Yeah,
7: yeah, or um, or a lot of them have their own businesses, dressmaker or, or costume making or doing alterations or you know, tailoring soft furnishings businesses where they actually you know supply curtains and, and, and actually so are in the trade for what they're teaching. Okay. So they can bring all the anecdotal information. We concentrate a lot for the dressmaking. Our emphasis is always on fit over technique. So anybody can watch a YouTube video and learn how to insert an invisible zip. But if you don't know how to put that invisible zip into a certain type of fabric, you will always struggle, no matter how many times you watch that Definitely. video.
5: Definitely. I've um, found before... I mean, I can put zips in perfectly. An invisible zip, I tried once and I didn't succeed, but I yeah. intend to return to it. I went on one of those Alley Pally knitting oh, yeah. and stitching things, yeah, and yeah. Uh, they had a little work shop that you could go to, so I so booked yeah. on to that. Yeah. But you don't know until you actually do that zip up. No. How well it's going to fit. Yeah. And
7: that is what I would like to know. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's going to and work. we do a lot. So on our start dressmaking courses there are five weeks they're quite intensive five weeks um but three weeks is all about fit and and it's all about altering that pattern so that you can reuse that again and again and it will fit you again and again so we don't you know we don't train people how to do 20 different types of seams for example because actually we can share that knowledge in our socials or you know in the shop and what we concentrate on is the stuff that you know you really can't learn anywhere else and you okay. and, and the things that actually make the difference between whether you're gonna love something that you've made or it's gonna stick Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we do yeah, we do concentrate on fit yeah and it's amazing how many people will try to learn at home and spend lots and lots of time years and years and, and never get that right yeah, and well, then and they come here and in in a few weeks actually really understand we're all about well what's your particular body shape forget what size you buy in the shop what's your body shape how yeah. does your you know your waist align with your hips and how did you you know how long's your legs and how you know how taller you and and factoring in all those tiny little details that mean that actually you end up with patterns that you can make over and over again or you know how to adjust a new pattern mm. when it when it comes to i can it.
5: remember sewing classes mm. at school and and the emphasis was on that to be fair to the teacher mm. But I found it so boring, I didn't really want to listen. I wanted to get cut in, I wanted yes, to get started. Yes. I had no patience. So yes. I think it does take a little bit of patience yeah, to, yeah. to see that this is going to be worth it. Yeah because yeah. then you've got
7: it for any Perfect. other pattern. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of people just don't have the time anymore to be able to commit to, like, oh, well, let's have a, a day at home sewing, <laughs> we wish, you know. Um, most you need people... a staycation for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Most people, you know, if you've got kids and then it, you're grabbing, like, you know, five minutes at the end of an the, in the, in the evening when you're tired. And so quite a lot of people that come to our evening socials are busy, you know, with full-time jobs, um, kids, and they actually find that by committing to come... Just one day, one evening a week, they get loads done. Yeah. And over a period of time it's just lovely to see actually the only time they ever they leave their sewing machines in the bag from one week to the next. So don't it's the only chance oh, okay. they get yeah. to sew. They don't set might the as well sewing leave them. Machines. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't set so we wish we could store them. Yeah, we've yeah. had been asked if we could have lockers, but <laughs> we don't have space for that unfortunately. But yes, they're literally their only sewing time is when they come here. Mm. But they still get, you know, still get Loads done, and also that devoting that time. You know, there's no distractions. You can't suddenly go, "Oh God, I need. I I ought to clean the bathroom or whatever." No, no. Or there's something on telly, or you know, it's it's you're devoting you're devoting three hours, and you can get a lot done in three hours. Yeah,
5: Yeah, I remember I my daughter was just a baby in arms when I made a cover for a three piece suite. Oh yeah out of some it was Dora Ashley fabric but it yeah. was it hadn't come through the usual channels cuz uh, we were overseas so uh ah. it was some seconds or something and yeah. i hated that fabric by the time i finished it, it took me <laughs> so long to make that thing but certainly the classes i wouldn't have got i wouldn't have made it without the classes no
7: for yes yeah the emphasis on bringing people together having fun sharing, being inspired by other people sharing our knowledge have you had That's any what we're um, about Boys or young men? Yeah, yeah. I've got men on my se- in my sewing clubs that I help do all sorts, yes. Uh, guys, yeah. Obviously it's, it's female dominant, but yes. no. I have had guys come before. Good to hear um, that. Yeah, to learn to sew. We're getting a lot of people coming back in who used to make their own clothes in the 70s and haven't since and are now interested in reigniting that passion because of um, the demise of fabric
5: availability and also perhaps the sewing bee effect you absolutely
7: think? yeah and the state of the high street in terms of being dominant by you know so few businesses that you see the same things all over yeah, throwaway fashion and
5: you yeah. know not everybody wants cold shoulders <laughs>
7: no no exactly so thank
5: you very much julie for spending a little bit of time with me this morning to tell us about uh, your experience exciting venture and i'm sure there'll be quite a few people who would go and take a look yes and, yeah um, it would be lovely perhaps join in on a social
7: yeah that would be great it'd be lovely to see Saw machine. anyone Saw machine. yeah Saw machine is a
5: girl!
0: That was Julie Miles talking to Liz Kelly about her Sew Show get-togethers. The music was a sewing machine song sung by Betty Hutton from the musical The Perils of Pauline. That was really good, Liz. She was very
5: enthusiastic about what she's doing and it's great to hear somebody just taking what is basically an interest and developing it into a business. Don't we all dream of doing that?
1: that's the best kind of business really isn't it Mm.
5: doing something you love
1: yeah I think
2: she was lovely though she was so passionate wasn't she totally about her whole shop and I love the sew shawl which is S E W yeah Yeah, it was a nice idea there's quite a few touches like that yeah Um, it's a
5: very cool place to be actually yeah and, and some of the patterns in the shop you don't see them generally you know they're kind of the sort of thing that I have seen in places like Liberty you know in London but generally speaking that sort of thing is quite hard to find so that it, it's sort of on trend she's sort of riding the wave at the moment you know
0: she she's absolutely right it's really difficult to get fabrics around here and it's just great that she decided that she would open a shop in St Ives well done Julie
5: yeah I did notice t- um, today in St Neats there is uh, somewhere you can get fabric as well and I'm sure for the ladies around Cambridge there's probably still some choice in Cambridge I don't know how good it is these days I'm afraid I don't actually, um, (laughs) so,
1: sorry, sorry about that. I should maybe go along and join one of her workshops and learn how to do it. My granny, my mother were absolutely brilliant. I am useless. Yeah, me too. I'm absolutely useless as well. You know, I think the interesting thing is I actually see synergies between Julie Dean and Julie Miles Mm -hmm. in that, you know, they're both using innovative techniques to uh, make people interested in their business and obviously in a very, very different scale. I mean, you know, maybe Julie Miles will, will become like Julie Dean. I can see parallels between them in that the way that, you know, they're doing things, the social, you know, you were talking about earlier, she's doing innovative things, just like Julie
0: Dean. Mm. I think that they're both inspirational because we've got a thing about inspirational women on 21st Century Women, haven't we? I went to a certain supermarket recently and bought some really cheap but incredibly beautiful pot plants, polyanthers, and I planted them out and two weeks later, they are absolutely fabulous. They have blossomed out and they just look wonderful. I think that going into supermarkets to get plants and things like that quite a good idea because the garden shops themselves can be incredibly expensive and not always very healthy plants.
1: Mm. I've always felt that getting something from the garden centre and paying more has always worked out a little bit better for me when I'm looking for my potted plants and things like that but I mean, it could be very true. Sometimes I get these specials on don't they in supermarkets
0: that's right yes I mean this was a special but I was very impressed because yes I have found in the past that supermarket stuff is not good but these were wonderful
1: well just watch it doesn't turn into the little shop of horrors Bobby (laughs) (laughs) will she love me I'm still seeing honey sweet
2: I can yeah. definitely say I am not a plant lady. <laughs> I have to say I am well, the are worst. Are a plant killer? Susie? I, uh, I am a plant killer. <laughs> That's exactly right. I am. In fact, my mother-in-law is the horticulturist. She's tried for the last 30 years to literally sort out my garden. And every time I bring plants in from the garden because they need it, they die. And I have no idea what I'm doing, except I do try and water. But maybe we overwater?
0: You know what you need to do, Susie? You buy a little bunch of flowers called daffodils and you put them into water. Don't you
1: leave this incomplete. Actually, that's what I did recently. They have these charity daffodils which are not in water and they just seem to survive and you can buy them for about a pound a bunch That's and fine. they were absolutely beautiful last about a week
0: yes yeah, they are I, d- I don't know quite how they do that but yeah. yes i've noticed this recently and i must confess i have been buying them because i am very fond of daffodils they are lovely
5: yeah i just love watching them open over the, the course of a week and by the time they they've gone all tatty you bought your next bunch, so I'm a bit sad when daffs die down. To be honest, I don't like
1: picking them though. I feel a bit like a murderer. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, it's true.
1: It's like you're you're taking the the poor flower away from the plant. It grew that, you know, on its own. This world I mean,
2: I've got daffodils all outside my front of my house, and every time the school children pass, they pick them. Absolutely, <laughs> them. they do. But Monsters. I don't. But I
1: don't have a problem
2: with that. I absolutely don't have a problem with it because I'm hoping that they are not going to trash them. You need a catapult. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, maybe I do. Maybe... No, 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 no can't can't or assume. a no. sign. No, no, no. I'm yes, joking. Yes, a sign. Please don't pick my daffodils. <laughs> no, I
1: can't do that. I think you're assuming that they can read. <laughs>
2: No, but I'm happy for them to take them. As long as they're going to give them to somebody else, No, they're going to throw them all over the
0: road. (laughs) You know, the other thing that I remember and I absolutely love when I was little, there used to be, and I'm sure that there are around here, the trouble with me being a Londoner, you know, you don't see these things, are Bluebell Woods. You you don't get very many in London (laughs) Don't get any in London, but I can remember going and collecting bluebells in Box Hill down in Surrey, and just picking them like mad. You're not allowed to do that anymore, but I'm uh, oh, quite I did
1: right, that. murderer. <laughs> <laughs> But it is a gorgeous time of year, isn't it? Everything is starting to come to life. I love this time of year.
2: Holidays, yeah, all May. the holidays that we're going to have. Maybe the Holidays not. you're going to <laughs> have <Yes>, here, <yeah>, maybe. <laughs> oh, well, what you? Yes, that's true. I, I can definitely say that's true. I, I have planned my holidays. No, March is a fantastic time, and May's lovely. And I, when I w- arrived here. Today, I heard all the lovely birds singing. Today, it was Mm. fantastic. It doesn't matter what time of day now, you do well, I suppose maybe later on at night when you go to bed, but it's beautiful. It's a real sense that
1: the year is getting. Better. That's right. They are starting to kick up a din by about f- six o'clock in the
0: morning. Mm, yes, are. my husband started moaning about that. He can't stand that.
1: <laughs>
2: he, well, he can't stand the birds. They make too much
1: noise too early. They're trying to sleep. Unlike me, I'm climbing in the car and driving off. Yeah, <laughs> I, I suppose I
2: my husband gets really annoyed if I've got the alarm on too early. So I put the alarm on at six, and I don't get up till six thirty, and he gets really irate with me that I've I've got
1: up at six thirty funny because my husband's the same I put the alarm on at five and for some reason he thinks that's too early <laughs> Well what time do you have to get up Linda five th- well 5.15 I've now stretched it to I can do everything really quickly I,
0: I do recommend that you all retire
5: <laughs> <laughs> don't be so smug
0: alone <laughs> so, so cold let's go back to What can be more iconic than the clutch bag? Thinking back to the 60s and dear old Audrey Hepburn and the little black dress. They were such a
1: nuisance though, weren't they? Didn't you find them a nuisance, clutch bags? I never got
5: on with a clutch bag.
1: I never got on with a clutch bag because it was supposed to be under your arm and it would slide to the floor and it would
5: pickpocket's delight, isn't it, really?
1: (laughs) And also,
2: clutch bags, how much can you fit in a clutch bag? Not a lot. They're like these
1: evening bags. An absolute nightmare. Yeah. By I, the time you've got your keys, your massive purse with all of its credit cards, yeah. which you will need because you're an expensive night out. Lippy. Lippy mm-hmm. tissues just in case the loo doesn't yeah. have any. Don't forget room. mascara. Mascara. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. never know when you might need a brush. In-
2: a brush, yeah. We're yeah. talking away from a clutch bag. We
1: are. You almost need a kitchen sink. You do actually. And you, you of course you've got your phone. We yeah. forgot that. Which which does double up as a camera, thankfully. And years ago you
2: didn't have a phone for
1: a clutch bag. No. So you now didn't. You so need you're you trying to cram far more things in yes, now, really, aren't absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So now I don't like clutch bags.
1: You might want your reading glasses as well, we forgot that. Well I no I tried to
5: say, but nobody was listening. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) I wanna know if this road will We had the grandchildren, so you have to do the Disney thing. So we went off to see the the brand new Disney Peter Rabbit. Was it fun or endurance? Well, the children absolutely loved it. Uh, it My grandchildren, one is eight and the other is ten, almost eleven, and they thought it was fun. It was fun, but, you know, it really disturbed me. I didn't like it. What, a rabbit wearing a coat? Yeah, but that's the point. It was a genuine rabbit. It wasn't... (laughs) Uh, it wasn't an animated rabbit. It
1: wasn't a real rabbit, Bobby.
0: Well, I know, but it looked so, so real. I got really upset about these wretched rabbits because they were talking. If they had been comedy rabbits or or comic rabbits or, you know, the, the normal Disney character rabbits, I would have been absolutely fine. But these were real rabbits. Too you, real. You could, see, you could see the fur moving and the, all the mannerisms and everything were like a real rabbit. But they were talking. And it really upset me because they were so real.
5: Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. <laughs> oh
0: no so cold. Let's go back this-
1: And that's about all we have time for this evening, I'm afraid. Our huge thanks go to Julie Dean, to Charlotte Gin, to Julie Miles, and our lovely contributor Louise. We're uh, if you're listening to HCR 104 FM. Next up is the country show with John and Jackie Manders, and on Cambridge 105, it's 105 Sport. This show will be available as a podcast on iTunes and on Mixcloud. We'll be back in May. Until then, it's goodbye from Bobby Jones. Bye. From Liz Kelly. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Susie Thorpe there. Sorry, Susie. (laughs) Bye-bye. And from Fee, Linda See you next time.